Before I get into today's podcast, I just wanted to ask you one question. Are you coming to Kingdom Fest? Kingdom Fest is an awesome weekend event coming up September 8th to the 10th, and I've been pitching it a little bit on some previous episodes, but this is really my last chance to tell you about it so that you have time to register and come. So if you're interested in getting together for a weekend, our theme this year is Yahweh, There Is No Other. It's in the Albany, New York area at Living Hope Community Church, and you can get more details at lhim.org, lhim.org, and I hope to see you there. So here is today's episode. Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. Are you a missionary? Although we typically think of missionaries as those who travel to foreign lands to share the gospel with people, the simple fact is that we are all, as Christ followers, called to the work of sharing the gospel. Furthermore, as Heart Cry Missionary Society points out, indigenous missionaries have huge advantages over foreign missionaries since they are more plenteous, less expensive, culturally literate, fluent, and they avoid nationalistic biases. What if you altered your thinking just a little? Rather than seeing your role as a member of a church or a participant in a community of faith, what if you thought of yourself as an indigenous missionary right where you are? How would that change your life? Here is Podcast 108, Indigenous Missionaries. Please pardon the quality of this recording. This meeting happened outside in a park near a road in the Albany, New York area. My topic for this morning is indigenous missionaries. And I want to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So Acts chapter 1 is the part of the Bible where Jesus commissions his apostles and then ascends into heaven. It's, in a sense, his last words. Now, those of you who have read the book of Revelation know that there's more words, but... Before he ascended, these are his last words. And in chapter 1, verse 8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's the mission Jesus gave the first group of Christians, was to start right where they were, which was the city of Jerusalem, and then to move to the general surrounding region of Judea, and then to take that message north to Samaria, and then he just says, and to the end of the earth. So we don't need to really argue about how much of the earth they knew about 2,000 years ago. Obviously, they didn't know about this part of the earth we're in today, but the end of the earth covers us too. (laughs) So what we see in the book of Acts, which is the, the first history of what Christians did after the time of Jesus, is them doing exactly what Jesus commissioned them to do, which is pretty cool. They start in Jerusalem, and you remember that time when Peter and John went to the temple to pray, and they met a lame man on the way, <laughs> and, the, and he asked for money, right? He asked for alms, and they, and they said to him, in the name of Jesus, you know, stand up, 
and they grabbed him and he stood up and he started leaping around and praising God. You remember that? That's in Jerusalem. And that, that happens pretty much right away. And as m remarkable as that miracle, that healing was, the other factor is, is to consider is that Peter actually let it rip. I mean, he preached to those people. And 5,000 believed on that day. That's, that's huge, right? And so then we read a little later that Peter went to a place called Joppa which is in the same general area. It's outside of Jerusalem, but it's in that region of Judea. And in Joppa, he ran into this situation where a girl, a Christian young woman, a godly woman who used to make uh, garments and, and was involved in charity, that she died. She got sick and she died. And, and they washed her and they laid her on a bed. And Peter came in and her name was Tabitha. And Peter came in and he he raised her up from the... He prayed for her and she awoke from the dead, right? And again, he preaches and people believe. And it says that in, the, in that town of Joppa, which is modern-day Jaffa, it's still there in Israel, that many people believed because of this preaching. And then later on, Philip went to Samaria. So Jesus said, start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and then Samaria and then to the end of the earth. Right, And so that's exactly what they did. Philip went right to Samaria, and even though there was a lot of racism between the Jews and the Samaritans, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. It was equal opportunity racism against each other. Philip broke through that barrier right there in the first century. He didn't have to wait for Martin Luther King Jr. He just like went right through the, the race barrier. He preached to the Samaritans. They believed, and the apostles came down, and they're like, we accept them. They're full, they're full members of the church. They're brothers, they're sisters. And suddenly you have, you have the, the gospel crossing barriers. Peter preaches to this Italian guy. I mean, of all people. I'm just kidding. I'm part Italian. It's the only way I can say that, right? And the gospel goes to Cornelius. And it goes to Africa, right in generation one with Philip once again preaching to the Ethiopian treasurer, guy in charge of all the money of the country. Good guy to know. And so he believes, and he takes the gospel. So the, the, the message just spreads and spreads. And then after that, Paul, the missionary, travels from place to place. He goes all the way to Athens in Greece, and he preaches the message there as well. Flip over to Matthew chapter 28. And so what we see is a frenzy of missionary activity in the book of Acts, in first century Christianity. And I love, I love studying this. I mean, it's partly because there's so much action, so much excitement, but also because I just respect people with courage. I mean, you see somebody that do, does something really courageous, and you say, wow, did you see that? Look what they did. And I see it does take a lot of courage, but they were able to do this. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18... We get a little more information on what Jesus said in those last moments. We read Matthew 28:18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of some nations. No, it doesn't say some nations, right? It says what? All nations. And so that's the goal. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These verses right here that I've just read to you between Acts 1.8 and between Matthew 28, this is what we call the Great Commission. 
This is the job Jesus gave His church in every single generation and in every single location. It's one of the very few things you can do better now than you can do in the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back. Because those people will already believe. However, right now, we have this opportunity to share this message. And those who have come before us, they've shared this message. And those who come after us will share this message. But this is your time. This is our time to share this message. If you're a Christ follower, you're not like everyone else. You're, not, you're just not. I've been trying to like teach this to my kids because you know the default is just be like, oh yeah, we're, we live in the same neighborhood, we go to the same school, we're like every... No, we're not like everyone else. We're different. We, we live by a different standard and we have a different faith. We're looking forward to something huge that's going to happen when Jesus returns. And in the meantime, we're following Jesus, which is exciting and terrifying and awesome all at the same time. And I was thinking to myself, well, what, what distinguishes us? And, and So I started thinking about missionaries. And I was thinking, like, well, what does a missionary wear? What, what kind of a, a garment or uh, costume or uh, uniform? Now, we know Mormon missionaries, they wear the white shirt with the name tag, right? But we're not Mormons, so we're not going to wear... I mean, if you want to wear a white shirt with a name tag, I'm not going to... I might make fun of you a little bit, but that's okay. You're welcome to do that. But I was thinking, well, what does a missionary do? You know, maybe a missionary... Maybe a missionary just... I borrowed this from my wife. Um, I don't know which side is the front here. Maybe a missionary is just somebody that grows their hair long and uh, just really, you know, has a lot of style. You know, is this what a missionary is? You think it's backwards, huh? Maybe a missionary is the kind of person that wears a wig backwards. I can't do this thing. You know, is a missionary somebody who um, who is just like undercover? And that's how we know, oh, that person is a missionary. They're wearing sunglasses, right? No, no, we, we can't tell that. A missionary by their hair, by their sunglasses, by their clothes. So how do you, how do you tell a missionary? by their tattoos, right? I actually got a tattoo just for th this today. It says, I love Jesus. It's a full chest tattoo. So you want to see it? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did not get a tattoo. But uh, that I, I thought about it. I'm like, you know, sharpie it in there and, and see what... But then it's like, I don't want to have marker on me for a couple of weeks here. But uh, that's, not what, that's not how you tell a missionary. The way you tell a missionary... It's not their race, it's not their language, it's not their location. The way you tell a missionary is their mindset. So I want my wife to come forward, and she and I, we together were missionaries. I don't know if you knew this, but we were missionaries in Africa for three weeks. And uh, I want her to share a little bit about what her mindset was like during that time. When did we go that, uh, 2004? Okay, so Shaw and I went on a mission trip to Africa in 2004. We went for about a month. And when we had gotten married and when, when we got married, Sean had always wanted to go to Africa. It really wasn't on my radar. But at that time, we 
we went, we got married, we went down to the Bible college, and we were just immersing ourselves in the scriptures, and it seemed like the obvious thing to do was you want to share all this knowledge that you've gained. And we were excited. We were excited about the message of Jesus coming back and the kingdom that he was going to establish and you know that everything was going to be made right. So we went to Africa and that was that was a challenge for me because I you know we were going and visiting churches every day and um, I did not view myself as a teacher of the Bible. So this, and everybody had to speak who went on the trip. And the amazing thing was is that it, it really stretched me and it caused me to grow. And I, being there, I discovered that we have true brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who care as passionately about this message that we do. And you know, they would travel for days to get there. And, and so you saw the hunger that they had to learn about the things of the Bible, which was amazing. There was also an element of danger there because, you know, we stuck out like sore thumbs. You know, we were just, there was no blending into the culture. And so we really had to trust God and have wisdom. And, and he protected us and it was wonderful and amazing. Um, in the end, I would say I grew enormously in my faith and my confidence. And I think our mindset was that we, we believed so much in the message that we were preaching. And you know, if you have something that's gonna save somebody's life, you want to share it. The people were so poor, there was one man that we always talk about how, you know, they would walk for days to go to the place where we were preaching, and this one man had one flip-flop, and he wore his one flip-flop because that's all that he had. And so the message that we were preaching spoke so loudly to them because there is a desperation there. Every day they wake up and they think, all right, how am I going to get food today? How am I going to get wood for my fire? And you really saw that what we were saying to them, it truly mattered. It changed their lives because, because they needed to have hope. They needed a real hope that this, this isn't going to be the way it always is. That, you know, Jesus is going to come back and there is going to be no more death. I, for, I forget what the life expectancy is there, but it was, I think it was 35 or 37. So mothers would have babies and know that, you know, they may have 10 babies, but some of them are going to die and they're not going to make it. And so I think what we saw was that our message, it's necessary. You know, it was so needed there and they grasped onto every word and that they would travel for days to get there. That's how important it was for them to hear what we were saying. Dan, where is he? Come on up. So Sean asked us, uh, a few of us to speak about the missionary mindset and in 2012 I went with Reverend Vince Finnegan and Tom Riley to uh, both countries of the Congo. Uh, we were there for two weeks. Uh, Congo, as I'm sure you know, is a very, very poor place. It frequently tops the list of poorest countries in the world. The GDP in the Democratic Republic of Congo was something like $550 uh, per capita. Uh, by comparison, the U.S.'s per capita is about $56,000. Um, so very, very poor country. It can, it can be a dangerous place, uh, as, as you heard from Ruth. Uh, being, being white in a place like that, you, you immediately stick out. You, um, you're targeted for all sorts of things from customs officials pulling you aside to 
Um, I actually got pulled into a into a hospital, and Tom had to give the guy twenty dollars to let me go. Like, <laughs> there's <laughs> it can be a very dangerous place. So, um, but it was amazing because your mindset is that you're serving God for all the hardship through through waiting. You know, for hours at the airport for the Congolese official to come back and and rob you of hundreds of dollars of of, of bribe money to, you know, the heat, the travel, all of that. It the mindset was was one of joy because you know that you're serving God. You know that these people are so poor. Um, you're you're you have a message for them. You're you're serving God. You're loving His people. Um, everything goes to God in prayer from the route you take to get to where you're going to who you meet um, how long you stay in a place you're you're constantly in prayer um, and it's like this bubble of loving God praying to God constantly serving you're in the word it's like yes you're tired you know yes you're thinking about home yes seeing all the poverty around you is is um, is daunting and it and it and it affects you but you're in you're in a place where you know what your mission is you know the message that you're trying to convey my job was to support Vince because um, he was ministering to people in, in the different areas um, in both countries from doing the most menial task to he also gave me the, the chance to preach uh, which was amazing so from doing the most menial task to doing the most important task it's it's all the same you're all your your mindset is that you're serving god you're loving his people you're in connection with him and i only wish that it was the same when i came back because i didn't have to depend on god necessarily when i came back it was back to my life back to my job over there you had to depend on him um so yeah that's that's what i had to share thank you it's great thanks Let's see. Is my dad here? Dad, you want to come up? He's going to share a little bit of probably about the same trip, or I don't know. You've probably been on a lot of trips you could share about. <laughs> Good morning. When I went to the uh, Congo uh, the first time was a, was over 35 years ago, and uh, when I when I got there, uh, the country. Is, like Dan said, it's the, maybe one of the poorest countries, if not the poorest country in the world today. It was much worse then. And, and uh, when I went, it, uh, my message that I had, what was on my heart to communicate, radically changed after being there for a few days. Because at that time, 35 years ago, the message that I commonly communicated to people when I witnessed was uh, from John 10.10, 10, uh, that I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I would often talk about uh, health and prosperity and good families and, and this type of thing. But once I got there and I was absolutely overwhelmed with the poverty that I saw, it just crushed my spirit. I couldn't sleep at night. It was so overwhelming to me to see my brother, you know, people in the world that would be suffering as such. So my message when I when I did meet an American coming and speaking the gospel about Jesus Christ was a novelty 35 years ago. Christianity was not popular. There wasn't there was never really any great Christian missionary work in the Congo. So when I went there, I was a novelty, and there were literally, we met in a coliseum, and there was probably over 10,000 people that attended the meeting. 
and I translate you know through a translator and the message that I gave at that time was about the lordship of Jesus Christ the vast majority of the people that were listening to me were uh, influenced mostly by witchcraft and I idolatry and and by uh, each of them coming from the villages had a witch doctor that was in charge, so there was a lot of spiritualism and, and this type of thing. So my message then was about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and it was for the remainder of the time that I was there. This most recent years in my going, this will be the fourth time we're going this August in the last, I don't know, ten years or so, and, and uh, now things have radically changed again in the Congo where you drive down the streets of Kinshasa and everywhere you see on the storefronts Jesus 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 everywhere you go it's all about Jesus so my message now is completely different than it was 35 years ago 35 years ago I was introducing the thought of Jesus Christ and the Lordship of Jesus Christ today my understanding of the scriptures is much uh, broader and, un and much uh, greater by the grace of God understanding the kingdom of God and all that is connected with that so now my message is and has been in recent years is about the kingdom of God because although Jesus is on all of the street signs and everybody talks about Jesus, the Jesus that they're talking about is not necessarily the Jesus that is communicated in the scriptures. It's a, it's a Trinitarian Jesus. It's not a monotheistic understanding about the one true God and that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is not God, but that he is Lord, and that the kingdom is coming, that you don't die and go to heaven, but that the kingdom is coming when Christ is coming back and the earth is going to be transformed. So my mindset in going in these most recent years is to communicate the knowledge of the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm very thankful for the privilege of doing this. God is so good to allow us to know what we know and to give us the not only the knowledge, but the ability to speak this to other people. God bless. Thank you. All right, so we've heard from real missionaries what being a missionary is like and what the missionary mindset is. And I was doing some research on uh, one of the missionary organizations out there called Heart Cry. It's uh, Paul Washer's organization, those of you who know Paul Washer. And uh, one of the things that a lot of people have pointed out is the value of indigenous missionaries. And in fact, Living Hope does support, we do support uh, missionary activity in the Congo by the ministers that are already living there. And that's what an indigenous missionary is. That's somebody that is a missionary but in their own country. And uh, anyhow, this website that I was looking at, it's a missionary organization website, talks about five main advantages, six main advantages of indigenous missionaries over foreign missionaries. And the, the first is, there's just a lack of people. I mean, there's only so many people who can raise enough money and go somewhere else to be a missionary. So you get a lot more people if you can uh, be a missionary in your own context. Number two, it costs a heck of a lot less money for indigenous missionaries. The average North American missionary, for, and now this is not for our organization, this is for this missionary group called Heart Cry. Their average cost is $4,000 a month to support a missionary and they said that they could easily do 20 indigenous missionaries for the price of one 
American or Western European missionary. Also, you have the language and the culture. You, we heard about that, right? That the difficulty of going to a foreign place, they say that it takes a minimum of four to five years to learn the language and the culture to start actually having an effect. If you are a, uh, a, a missionary, obviously without a translator. Then you have identification. And th this, is, this is kind of political, but what they say is that there's so much anti-American and anti-European bias in many of the places around the world that sometimes people won't even listen to you if you come from this kind of a background or come from our country. Then number five was the difficulty of transitioning. If you actually get something started, then the missionary wants to go home or they want to go to a new work and they want to put a local pastor in charge. Now the people don't want to come to church anymore because it's not this celebrity foreigner. It's just Tom down the road. No offense, Tom. Uh, and then uh, the last one they said is focus. That so often, especially American missionary organizations, get focused on secondary issues that they don't actually get to share the gospel with people. And that the indigenous missionaries, that's, that's basically what they do. They don't paint your swing set and do, do like a lot of other things that we tend to do. But they just get out there and they preach the gospel. So this, this, they're really pushing for this indigenous mindset. And look, I'm not trying to knock down one or the other. I think both are great. If you want to be a foreign missionary, if God's calling you to do that, go. Do it. Pray and go and prepare and then do it. Um, but what I, want to, what I want to argue or make the case for today is that we, we, Right here, in this very place, we are called to be indigenous missionaries ourselves. That's, that's really my focus for what I want to say here. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony, and then the end will come. What this verse tells me is that the end will not come until this gospel, the gospel Jesus preached, reaches all the nations as a testimony. That doesn't say that, Jesus doesn't say, well, all the nations have to become Christian. He doesn't say that. But at least the gospel that he preached has to reach all the nations. That's what God's up to in our day. Think about how many advantages we have as well. I mean, just, just beyond freedom of speech, which is huge. Talk about an advantage there. But we also have incredible communication capabilities. We have huge advances in travel and transportation. Right? So, I think we are poised to really make a difference. Now, here's a question I have for you. How many people in America do you think have heard Jesus' gospel about the kingdom of God? Now, they probably have heard that Jesus died for their sins. They probably heard that God raised Him from the dead. We have Easter after all, right? But how many have heard about this kingdom message that part of the message. Now, let's zoom in a little bit. What about the capital region? A few years ago, George Barna, his organization, did a survey of all the cities, probably, I guess, the larger cities in America, and they ranked them based on who is most post-Christian. Post-Christian means you don't really read your Bible or go to church, but maybe on a, on a form you might still identify as Christian. So they wanted to drill down and be like, do, are you actually practicing, right? So, and out of all the places, all the cities in the United States, number one 
in 2013 as a post-Christian city was Albany, Schenectady, Troy, Capital Region. We were in first place. Doesn't that blow your mind? That's out of like 50 cities. We were number one. So I was telling Jacob about this, and he's like, yeah, well, is it still like that? You know, what's, how's it changed? So and I appreciate that question. So I looked it up, and uh, they did another survey two years later. In 2015, so anyhow, in, in 2013, we were, at, we were in first place uh, with 63% post-Christian. Uh, on average in America, they found that 78% identify as Christian. But in Albany, 63% are not practicing Christians in 2013. So then in 2015, I have some good news and some bad news. Which one do you want first? All right, the bad news. The bad news is we went from 63% post-Christian to 66%. But the good news is San Francisco is just slightly worse, so we're in number two now. San Francisco and Albany both have 66% post-Christian. So the question is, well, who will preach the gospel in Troy? Who will preach the gospel in Water of Leet, in Cohoes, in Schenectady, in Clifton Park, in Saratoga, in Albany? Who will preach the gospel here? I was thinking, what if, what if you were a Chinese Christian? You know there are Christians in China, right? So what if you're one of these Chinese Christians and you're, you're in one of these underground house churches and, and you don't want the government to find out about you and God's stirring your heart and you're just like, oh man, I just I really feel called to, to travel and to bring the message to, to, another, to another land. That's what they did in the book of Acts. They went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth and this young Chinese Christian says, I'm going to bring the gospel to America. I've heard all kinds of things about Hollywood and uh, all, all these other things that these Americans are. I want to bring the gospel. And let's say this Chinese person was, was doing research online, and, and, they, and they were looking around, and they were like, okay, well, where should I go in America to be a missionary? What's the most post-Christian area you would want to go? Oh, San Francisco or Albany? Now, imagine the difficulty that a Chinese missionary would have in this area, right? They have to learn English. Chinese and English are not similar. I don't even think we have, like, any loan words, right? So, I mean, this person would have to start learning English. They would have to not only learn English, they would have to learn the American mindset, which I imagine is very different from the Chinese mindset. Then they'd also have to figure out basic things like Starbucks, um, Stewart's. Stewart's is important if you live in this. I haven't explained that to Jacob yet, but if it's the summer in the capital region and you need an ice cream, you go to Stewart's or or a milkshake, right? Um, they, they have to learn about sarcasm. Right? I mean, can you imagine not knowing about sarcasm and trying to, to share the gospel with people in our beloved capital region? Good luck. Um, they have to learn about directness. Chinese people tend to be very polite. A lot of us don't really appreciate beating around the bush. We just want you to tell us what you're trying to say. Some of us appreciate politeness, but some of us are just like, all right, just tell me what you're trying to say. Right, Dan? So... Um, I feel like this Chinese missionary would have all this difficulty, whereas you, you're indigenous. You're a native. 
You, you, you are so good at reading the culture because you are part of it. Right? You, you know the, what movies people are talking about. You know what things are going on around here, at least in your own part of the world, in, in your own subculture, because we didn't even get into that, because subculture is a whole other issue. Right? And so we're already here. We know the language. We know the culture. And we have the mission. What is the mission Jesus gave us? Go make disciples. So what, is that, what does that mean that we're called to do? We're called to be indigenous missionaries. Now some of us may go to other countries, and that's awesome. But we can't, the rest of us can't say, oh well, Vincent, Tom, and Dan are going to the Congo this year, so I'm all set for, you know, I'll, I'll just contribute to that. I'm not, you know, that, that covers my responsibility. No. No, we also have a responsibility. Whether you stay or whether you go, we all have this commission. And you, you notice that, like what Ruth said about the mindset. And uh, over and over she said, these people, it, it became clear to me that the message we had to give them was a message of hope. That's still true here in America. People might not be financially impoverished, although we have plenty of poor folks and middle class and rich folks. We have plenty of everything here. But even if you're not financially poor, you could be spiritually poor. Your, your, your relationships could be on the rocks. You know? And, and these, are, these are all part of the package of, of the fruit of the gospel as we come to believe in it. So here's what I'm here to say to you today. Let's get busy doing it. Let's invite people to church. Let's share our testimony with folks. Let's invite co-workers to Read the Bible with us one-on-one. -on -one. Let's get out there and look for opportunities. The best opportunities are not the times when you say, all right, today at 3 o'clock I'm going to go do evangelism for one hour. I mean, that's great. That's awesome. But the best opportunities typically just pop up when you're living your life and you have to have spiritual eyes to see them and then trusting God to lead you in that conversation or in that situation. Or maybe it's just praying for somebody, you notice somebody's in need. You can say, it's, it's, it's pretty non-offensive, can I pray for you? I mean, if somebody doesn't believe anything, they're just like, oh, that sounds nice. I mean, Richard Elton was online at a uh, coffee shop and the lady was taking forever to get the soup. And he got to share with him a little bit. And, the, and he said to the, the guy, had, uh, I think his wife had some health issues. And so Rich said to him, can I pray for you? Can I pray for her? And you know what the guy said? Well, just send positive energy my way. Now, Richard could have left it there. He could have said, okay, well, you know, prayers are positive and it is like a spiritual energy, so whatever. No, he didn't. He said, you know what? I understand you don't, you don't believe like I believe, but I do think prayer is tapping in to God, that, that it's communication with God, and that God is the source of all energy, and so I think this, this could actually work. Prayer, like real, with a P, not energy, but prayer. And, uh, you know, he wasn't offensive or anything, he was just holding his ground. <laughs> and the guy was like, all right. You know, so they, I think uh, Cheryl came and they prayed for him. But my point is, looking for those opportunities, I feel like that's, that's where we've got to be. But it only will happen if we have a missionary mindset. If you look at yourself 
as an indigenous missionary, you're going to start to see things a little differently. You're going to start to see opportunities. Just like if you're in a foreign country, you're, a lot, you're not worried so much about blending in or going to the mall. You're, you're focused on, well, what am I supposed to be doing here? Where's there, where's there somebody I can talk to? And I think this is an, a mindset we can develop. It all, all it does is just takes a little shift in your thinking to be an indigenous missionary. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to this. As of right now, this is August 24th, 2017, Living Hope International Ministries has a team of missionaries in the Congo proclaiming the kingdom message, including my father, who you heard on the recording, Vince Finnegan, Tom Riley, and Daniel Wall, all of New York, as well as Luis and Eve Carlo of Puerto Rico. Please pray for their safety and effectiveness while they are there in both the Republic of the Congo, Brazzaville, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo in Kinshasa this week and next week. Thanks so much for listening. Please share this episode if you found it helpful. And if you haven't yet, why not give us a review on iTunes so that other people can find this podcast. Visit us online at restitutio.org. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.